I said, empty your mind. Be formless, shapeless, like water. It's about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. Join movement expert Aaron Alexander as he dives into the minds of the foremost innovative healthcare thinkers and movement masters on their approach to optimal health and wellness. Align Podcast. Chasing the almighty dollar, if that's your only thing, it eventually flattens out. Whereas if you're chasing the thing that excites you, the human beings to be around, the work that excites you, the stuff that you know, you know, you, you can get passionate about, you know, the the irony is is you'll actually make way way more, right? Um, because you're excited and they appreciate your excitement and they reward your excitement and you're better at your work because you want to work harder and all of that stuff. You don't have to strain to work harder. Welcome back to the Lime Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander. In today's beautiful episode, I got to have my friend and fellow Santa Monican, Dr. Mark Chang, on the show. Uh, Mark is a Chinese medicine doctor, Chinese medical doctor, uh, acupuncturist, manual therapist, overall badass. Um, hanging out with Mark is kind of like the closest thing I have to spending time with one of my heroes that I've never gotten to meet because he's been dead for hundreds of years, but Miyamoto Musashi. I got to check his stuff out. Um, um, really, really fascinating fella, really grounded, um, interesting perspectives on movement and philosophy and Chinese medicine. So really enjoyed this conversation. I hope you guys do as well. Slowing down has really made it possible for me to, to be able to process and perceive information and, and as well as recognize openings. Yeah. So if I try and go through something really fast, my brain isn't, isn't sharp enough or analytical quickly enough to be able to perceive the kinds of openings that are there or opportunities that are there and capitalize on them in an efficient or intelligent manner. Thank you so much for tuning into the website, aligntherapy.com. That's A-L-I-G-N therapy.com. On there, you will find hundreds of videos on self-care and functional movement. And uh, you can jump onto the podcast page and uh, get yourself 10% off Four Sigmatic products. The folks at Four Sigmatic had offered up a uh, free gift for any folks leaving reviews on iTunes. So I'm going to be taking every few weeks or so, I'm going to take one out of five people that leave reviews, read them on the show, and then shoot you guys over a box of mushrooms. So um, send some whatever you want, cordyceps or lion's mane or whatever you're into. Um, so we got a review from Brooke1687. Brooke, shoot me a message on social media anywhere, be it for whatever. Uh, what, what are the social medias? Instagram, <laughs> Facebook, Twitter. And uh, we will shoot you out a box of mushrooms. So Brooke1687, she's an avid listener. I'm an avid listener of a pretty wide array of podcasts. And my podcast is my favorite for a couple of different reasons. And she gets into all these really sweet, wonderful reasons of why she appreciates it. So thank you so much, Brooke. Um, and get at me and we'll shoot you out some mushrooms ASAP. Um, so Four Sigmatic, radical company, you guys are familiar with them. Tim Ferriss is using the stuff, Sean Stevens, all, Stevenson's all sorts of great people. It is mushroom blends, various different medicinal mushrooms, uh, be it cordyceps for energy or lion's mane or reishi, uh, and then infused into tea and coffee blends. So instead of just drinking a boring cup of joe in the morning, throw some mushrooms and pump that thing up. I use those things all the time. You can get yourself 10% off on their products using the Align code. So that's foursigmatic.com slash Align, F-O-U-R, sigmatic, S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C.com. Com slash align 
and get 10% off and any of those products. Highly, highly recommend. And Brooke, get after us and we'll shoot you out some mushrooms. Anybody else in the future, leave reviews on iTunes and we'll pick people out of there anytime I read your review because it was just so sweet and heartfelt. Um, we will boost you up with some, some mushrooms and uh, that'd be great. Um, I got a quote. Here is the quote. This is out of another film. Headed out to meet with Jersey Gregorick in San Francisco in a couple days. He's the the author of The Happy Body. He was just also on the Tim Ferriss show recently and got a hold of him and we're going to link up and talk about life and movement and stuff. But quote out of his book is from Norman Vincent Peale. All successful people have a goal. No one can get anywhere else unless he knows where he wants to go and what he wants to be or do. I think that's there's a lot of relevance in that um, defining specifically what it is that you're looking for imagine yourself setting your GPS to the location that you're trying to go to oftentimes find myself wandering lost on my bike not knowing exactly how to get to the place and finally I'll give up and use my GPS my cell phone and then poof, it takes me right to where I want to go I think that is kind of a similar metaphor for our, our approach to life if you have a sense of where you want to go then all you have to do is walk in that direction um, what else oh thanks so much for using the affiliate link for Amazon website that is so flippin' helpful um, that helps support this show and without it it would be tough to make it happen so um, jump onto the blog or and or podcast page on the right hand sidebar and uh, bookmark that Amazon affiliate link anytime you purchase some stuff that takes 7% out of Amazon and puts it into the line podcast foundation costs you nothing it's a great way to support the show I think we're probably ready to go. That might be suficiente. Um, so here we go. Back to the show. Oh, I'm heading to San Francisco in this this week. So if anybody, any of you guys are out there, reach out to me. I'd love to connect. And then I'm heading up to Bend, Oregon uh, the following week. And then I'll be up there for a week. So Oregon people, San Francisco people, I'd love, to, I'd love to connect. I'll be driving up the whole coast doing podcasts and meeting up with Rob Wolf and meeting up with maybe Nora Gagaldis and meeting up with from Jersey, all sorts of great people. So hit me up. I'd love to connect. All right, here we go. Back to the show with the good doctor, Mark Chang. Align podcast. I, I think I heard you talking on the Jason Frugia thing about Twina yeah. and kind of like the three the three legs of Chinese medicine. Yes. Can you get into that a little bit? Like what sure. that is? So the three legs of Chinese medicine, at least as I'm familiar with it, are acupuncture and moxibustion as one, right. uh, herbal medicine, which is a second, and then the third one, which is manual medicine or tui na. Yeah. Tui na in Mandarin means tui, uh, means to push, na means to hold. Mm. Um, so that's kind of a, like how Chinese conceive of, of manual medicine. Yeah. Um, so for me, I, I got into Chinese medicine through martial arts, um, and that was mostly just because you know in martial in the practice of martial arts trauma occurs it's like just one of those things where even if you're pretty safe about things yeah. occasionally you're going to get banged up or dinged up or whatever so having the the resources or having the understanding of how to to address those traumas rather than just go like oh well go see a doctor mm -hmm. you know having the, the wherewithal to be able to address them competently and effectively with a minimum of equipment right there right then yeah is awesome so 
uh, that's how I first got exposed to Chinese manual medicine. Yeah. Another thing I was hearing you, I had a great time listening to all sorts of interviews and such and doing research on you and stuff. So it's fun. Appreciate you putting Thank it out you. there. Thank you for that. Yeah. Um, but one of the things I heard you mentioning in somewhere was the, the value of breaking yourself down as a means of learning how to build yourself back up. You know, so it's like if we live this life in a vacuum and we're in this very like precious space, you have all your supplements and you, it's like you're kind of doing yourself a disservice in a way. I think so. Um, and, and that point of view gets me into a lot of trouble, especially um, sometimes with some family members. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but I, I think you have to provide enough stimulus or enough positivity to encourage some sort of confidence, but you also have to have legitimate feedback mechanisms to put that confidence in check. Totally. Like um, Mark Manson, the author of like uh, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a not Fuck. Not Giving a Fuck, right. It, He's, he speaks really eloquently on, on this like uh, positivity culture gone wrong. And it's like you rob people of this of the benefit of learning anything meaningful totally. when it's like everyone gets a medal all the time. It's like that devalues the accomplishment of the person that really won first. Yeah. And it robs the person that, that didn't place in the top whatever of learning that wait a minute you need to up your game you need to get you can't think that you're a winner too you're not equal to them you know and so when we take kids or we take even adults and make everything like uh, everyone gets a medal like there's no places there's no winners there's no losers it's not the real world there are people that will get the job there are people that won't get the job you know that's how it works there are people that in running the race come in first there are people that don't you know, in in competition for resources, in competition for self betterment, in competition for any kind of uh, thing where we're striving against another person or against time or against whatever, like you need to get some meaningful feedback. And when we're so worried about protecting our precious egos or protecting a kid's precious whatever, like a little bit of challenge forces adaptation. Sure. Now. Ideally, we want to be able to measure that challenge or modulate that challenge so that that challenge doesn't become destructive, right? Like, let's say with my son, if I'm working on a, on a, on a martial arts drill or something like that or a self-defense drill, and it's like, hey, let me just, I'm going to reach for your face. I just need you to duck or dodge or just get out of the way. You know, if, if I'm reaching for him rather slowly, he has time to perceive and then like figure out, I can move this way, I can move that way, I can duck, I can block, I can whatever, right? If I try and bean him at full speed every single time, then then like instead of him figuring something out, he's just going to develop a fear response. Yeah, learned helplessness is the fancy term for learned you know, it's like a psychological thing. Learned helplessness, or you learn an inefficient pattern of response. Right. So, like maybe he gets out of the way, but maybe he gets out of the way in uh, in using some sort of movement pattern that set that creates liability for a follow-up or inhibits his ability to respond or elevates his cortisol level so high that like okay he dodged that first reach but now he's like in fight or flight mode and he's and his body's pumping adrenaline and he could have just had like an almost subconscious low threat response and he's out of the way but he didn't have to overreact hormonally yeah this is the thing that i think human performance wise too many of the coaches, too many of the athletes, too many of the experts are missing out on. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, a quote that I've said probably a bajillion times on here is uh, 
the best gift you can give someone is an obstacle they can barely make over. You know, and so if you can set your life in such a way that you're continually setting up the obstacle that you keep on getting over and then you raise it up a little bit, you know, that's a really good place to be in. Mm -hmm. But it's kind of like previous conversations, like too many people, the obstacle is just like you just kind of walk over it. You never really create those hermetic stressors, Mm -hmm. you know, but as you're speaking, it's like kind of bringing this idea or awareness of, of kind of the art of bringing that to somebody. So the art of coaching somebody. Perfect choice of words, art. Yeah. Like, if you train everyone with the same template, you've, yeah. complete, you've completely lost sight of the fact that there are different, like some exercises for certain people are gonna be like gold, Some for some people, right? That same exercise for someone else is poison. Yeah. You know, like there has to, you have to, and, and not art in terms of randomness, art in terms of being able to craft the perfect picture for the perfect audience. Yeah. Yeah, so slowing down to create greater gains is something that I think about a lot. You know, it's something that it's, it's, we don't really applaud the person that is, you know, whatever, doing myofascial release on their calves or something, as much as we applaud the person that's like bleeding, marching up the hill. You know, and, and so that's, it's that, if you can slow down and actually give your nervous system the space, you know, spaciousness, I think is a really nice word to actually choose a new course. Now you can really kind of like choose your own adventure. But I think so often we kind of stay stuck in that, like keeping our head above water and anything less you're a lazy asshole, you know, but having that time of introspection and really witnessing yourself and kind of like starting to choose your movement path. You know, so is there anything, does that make sense? Is it, yeah, totally. I think a lot of that happens just because society's impatient. Yeah. You know, like, there's impatience just because we want the rewards, we want the medal right now. Yeah. And then there's impatience because of a pressing survival need. What's a pressing survival need? Okay, let's say, like, my village or my country or my whatever is about to go to war. So... I, let's say I have three weeks to prep before, like, battle is joined. Right. How I train for battle in those three weeks is going to be very different than how I would train if, like, I'm just training for tactical ability over the long haul. Yeah. You know, like, the things that you would do to get ready in three weeks are going to be higher stress. They're going to be, like, you're not going to focus as much on finesse. Like, you're going to really focus on, like, how can I attack and, and maybe I'll, I'll take some damage in, on the way in. Yeah. Versus like if I've got a lot of time to prep, it's going to be like, you know, how do I attack in the most efficient way and not get hit Yeah. and not destroy my body in the process? How can I train in a way where every rep, every training session makes sure that I move better? Totally. You know, so it, I think a lot of it is context. The thing is that when we are in peacetime, we're not in like a situation where we have an immediate goal that we have to meet and we still train like shit is about to hit the fan yeah that we create unnecessary collateral damage it's not sustainable yes yeah perfect phrase yeah yeah you talked about uh, um, I think it was with with Daniel Bellelli which I've had him on here as well and when I've worked at his place and all that stuff super sweet really good conversation I'd recommend checking that one out love Daniel yeah one and of my best friends yeah yeah you guys know each other for 20 years yep Jesus yeah. Christ yeah that was <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was such a trip, and and him reaching out again after so long, after we lost touch, I was just so grateful for. I, I think one of the things that 
he's he's really good about is like just looking for information without ego. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, that's what we were talking. I was talking with somebody recently about like referencing. Referencing is so sexy, you know. It's, I mean, it should be sexy, but we oftentimes we try and like. It's like we take these ideas and this information and they're like, cool, sweet. That's like my idea now, you know, but I think it's way sexier to be like, actually, I can pull up all these references and actually empowers your message, you know, so as opposed to this just being like some like crockpot, whatever, it's like I just came up with this because I'm brilliant, mm-hmm. you know, it actually I think is, you know, people appreciate that, that value of like, oh, this came from here, this came from there, that came from there, you know, we're just standing on the shoulders. Giants. But the thing that you were mentioning with that was training durability into the body. You know, and it's like we're talking about if you have three weeks, you're going to sacrifice a lot. I think we trick ourselves into always being in that just like that's just the way that we train is we always are about to go to battle. But if you're able to pull back a little bit and think about the 10 year, 20 year, 50 year, like how I'm going to move in my body when I'm 80, 90, 100. Yes. <laughs> Dude, that's huge. That's huge because like a lot of people can confuse rigidity with durability. Yeah, totally. That's now... It. If we define durability as the the your ability to withstand stressors, okay, great, I, I agree. Rigidity can be a kind of durability. However, that 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 sort of durability does not necessarily equate to or relate to longevity. Right. Longevity means you're able to take the switch and turn it on and turn it off. Durability just means like when it's punch time, someone's punching on you. You can stay hard enough to like absorb the punch or or endure the punch yeah. but longevity is a different question yeah you know we and, and the thing that most people don't appreciate enough is that tissue elasticity mental elasticity like spiritual elasticity that ability to be flexible and adaptable yeah and to change our energies from forward hard charging to like soft yielding receiving open humble like yeah. these things aren't, aren't aren't nearly as in the in the public eye or the public awareness as they should be. Yeah. Yeah, this thing about self-correcting exercises and I've heard I think I've heard that term used by by uh, by great cook or yeah. something. yeah, I don't know if he coined it or whatever, it doesn't matter. But but movements, the idea has been coined long before he mm-hmm. said it, I'm sure of that. You know, the movements such as like as a really simplistic form, be like a kettlebell swing, you know, or stacking, you know, like an overhead press, stacking weight and organizing that wrist in relation to the elbow, in relation to the shoulder girdle, down through the spine, down through the feet. Right. If you can find that and you can really, you know, and start really finding that midline, that connection. Yes. That's self-correcting, you know, but so, so often, does that make sense? It's okay to disagree, please do. I'm going to chew on that for a bit because I, I, especially for like the, let's say for example, the overhead position, the overhead lockout, there are times when your tissue will fool you. There are times when your nervous system will fool you. And it's like, you feel like, yeah, I've got everything stacked. This feels easy. This feels right. And then right. you look at, That's you look at someone's doing what someone's doing and the elbow's you know, bent the shoulder, shrug, the wrist is doing all these funny things. So load or challenge can make us perceive one thing that's very different from the actuality. Yeah. And this is why I like, while I like the concept of self-correcting exercise, I think things become self-correcting when we max out the kind of feedback mechanisms. Yeah. So like if you have a visual feedback mechanism, a tactile feedback mechanism, and sometimes an auditory, like someone's telling you simply like, hey dude, stop leaning back. Right. So I, I know that there, there, there's been a lot of emphasis lately on, on not coaching, like not giving cues. 
let someone just feel the correction. Yeah, but then there are times when like people are thinking that they're feeling something okay. that they're not really doing because there's a proprioceptive error. Yeah, well, I think it's an ongoing evolution of the self-correction. But if you're moving in a vacuum and you're moving and you don't have any feedback saying where you are in space, you know, it's like we need human contact, right? It kind of validates our, our existence here, right? You know, and if you take human contact away from us, you know, it's like the Romanian orphan syndrome thing. Are you familiar with that at all? But this no, is, I've never heard there was too many orphans. I think it was Romania. I'm pretty sure. And, uh, the orphans started getting all like mutated and they weren't growing properly. And it was, it was because there were just these babies and they were giving them milk and like all the nutrition that they need, you know, nutrition in quotations, cause they weren't giving them the nutrition of touch, right? Contact, right, right. You know, right. and feeling where your body's at in space and being able to roll on the floor and being able to be picked up and feeling that equilibrium. Right. You know, and so that's when I say self correcting, I guess I mean by putting yourself in various different environments and failing, you know, fail forward kind of thing. And so it's like surfing is a fine example of this. Right. As you're learning to surf, the difference between like having like really great cutback and like, you know, snapping your turn or whatever mm -hmm. and just flailing. That's a self-correcting evolution that could take you a decade. See, that's that, I think the, the better term is stimulus-rich environment, which is one that Gray uh, uh, talks about a lot. Yeah. Like, if your environment is stimulus-rich and gives you that kind of feedback, it's awesome because like this, the mo the more different kinds of line of stimulus, then the more feedback you get, and the more you're like, you're you're seeing lessons reinforced from different lines, from different from different ways yeah. like when I when I used to teach my group class and I had my rather large group class back in the days when I first started KBLA Kettlebells Los Angeles mm. I used to put people that were a little bit more experienced on the spot I used to be like okay great you teach this move and I'm just going to sit back and I'm going to listen I want to see how well you, you not just regurgitate what I said right. I want to see what what means you use to convey these principles yeah. and to the audience at the time um, and one of the things that always struck me was how many times I would say some shit and then someone else would I thought use almost exactly the same words and someone that was struggling when I was doing the delivery suddenly had that aha moment when they heard what I thought were the same words yeah. from someone else and it, it dawned on me like maybe the wording isn't as important as the tone of voice the time of, yeah. of the voice the appearance of the other person like Context is truly king. So, like when you have the, these these kinds of stimulus, for, like kind of forward pushing a lesson in from different ways, it's 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 it accelerates that learning process. Yeah, and then the tone of voice gets into the tone of movement. Yes. Right. Yes. You know, so so like whether you're just all like I just want to fucking crush the bag, or you know, or it's like no, I want to slow down and really witness my movement, or you know, whatever. It could be like a yoga reference. I would, it would apply even easier into yoga, you know, like a down dog isn't a down dog isn't a down dog. It's actually like an incredibly advanced movement, you know, that ne that necessitates really excellent shoulder flexion, you know, mm -hmm. being able to find that neutrality through your spine and be able to get a really good hip hinge and being have length through your, you know, the posterior chain. There's all these factors in it that it's like to really come into that point that it's, you know, correct, you know, which that's a funny yeah. word. It takes a lot of, of, uh, work, you know, and evolution. I'm curious with you with, um, is there any practices that you would say are like, it's like more slower yin type practices that you would recommend for people to start God. thinking about slow down to speed up? Uh, 
honestly, I think just about everything that I do <laughs> is like that because I look at my life, like whether it's kettlebell stuff, whether it's martial arts, whether it's, uh, you know, the TRX, whether it's whatever. I mean, even if it's trying to figure out my way through, you know, moving to the opposite side of the county and then trying to spend as much time as I can with my kids, yet yeah. still trying to maintain you know, my medical practice, my relationships and, and my own training out here on the west side, right. on this side of the county, uh, slowing down has really made it possible for me to, to be able to process and perceive information and, and as well as recognize openings. Yeah. So if I try and go through something really fast, my brain isn't, isn't sharp enough or analytical quickly enough to be able to perceive the kinds of openings that are there or opportunities that are there and capitalize on them in an efficient or intelligent manner. Yeah. Sometimes it's just like, you know, life just comes at you so fast and it's just like you're, you're, you're just busting your ass to tread water. Yeah. I get that. But then like, if you can take some things off your plate and maybe quote unquote lose some opportunities, you end up gaining perspective and being able to monetize or being able to capitalize or being able to idealize the opportunities that are in front of you already with less effort, with less strain, with less cost. Yeah. So the in practices I think are everywhere. We just don't always have the eyes to see them. Yeah. We don't always have the spirit to see them because of impatience. What is spirit? I think spirit's a kind of a combination of your intent, your emotion and your your energy like energy on an energetic level meaning like how your body feels about doing something yeah so I mean you can you can answer that question in a religious sense like what's spirit and that's one thing like soul but I think soul when we tap into what's your soul what moves your soul and like it's something that gets you excited it's something that moves you it's something that pulls you yeah. like you feel longing for it and so to talk about that without acknowledging emotion is remiss. Yeah. Yeah. I see a lot of people. So I'll, I'll like, you know, I think I look at people, it's all semantics, whether you call it spirit or whether you call it freaking fill in the blank, whatever thing they're, they're sure. just energy level or their personality or their all the words, mm -hmm. you know? And so uh, sometimes you see people that it just seems like they're, you know, their joints are stacked. They seem to have this like, bright irradiating way about them you know and they they move well through the world and people like them and they like the, you know and it's like those components of health it's becomes a little bit less tangible you know but like the fitness of kind of cultivating your spirit or cultivating just the way that you move through the world I'm kind of going out in the weeds a little bit, but I think sometimes we martyr ourselves for, for like the CrossFit workout or we like focus so much on like just do the workout and that's all we need. And we miss like perspective, you know, like cultivating your perspective on the world affects the way that you move through the world. Sure. You know, cultivating your nutrition, cultivating your environment, all these things that slowly accrue start to ch really change the organism. Totally. Totally. And, and I think our perspective, our, 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 priorities really decide how our tissue models itself mm -hmm. because your your lifestyle will model itself around your priorities around your goals around what moves you 
Um, and as a result, so will your tissue. Right. Do you, um, from, so, uh, from like a Chinese medicine perspective, are there any kind of um, supplements or herbs or anything like that that you would recommend people exploring? Um, Obviously, that's a relative thing. It depends on the, on the person, but it's right. like the, the fundamental. Is there like three herbs? It's like, oh, man, you should have this around. Ooh. Um, astragalus is always at the top of my list. Cool. Just because that, that's one of the rare herbs where, the, where um, you see it prescribed in both what are considered deficiency and excess conditions. Um, so, yeah, I love astragalus. Uh, it's a great adaptogen. Uh, not nearly as expensive as higher quality ginseng. Mm. Uh, I, I, you know, I, that's that's one that's always been a staple in my diet. Yeah. Um, but then, I mean, really, so many other quote unquote herbs are really just foods, like stuff that is is part and parcel of our food. Yeah, right. You know, so I think making intelligent choices with food, uh, that's really your best medicine. Yeah. Do you have any like a dietary approach of sorts? Is there any type of recommendations that you give to patients? Be more open-minded. Okay. <laughs> no, seriously, that's that's my biggest thing. I, and I, I know that sounds like it's a very off-the-cuff kind of like dismissive answer, but it's really true. Right now, especially in the fitness world, people are so um, so quick to jump on a train. Like, we got to eat this way. We got to eat that way. We got to follow this label. We got to like this is the, like so eager to wave a flag. Yeah. Right. But. Human beings evolved as opportunistic omnivores, mm. right? So meat, veggies, whatever. I mean, like we should be able to like any food source. And if we're metabolically adaptable, we should be able to take that food source, process it, and turn it into either cells or energy. Yeah. So why limit ourselves? The thing is that some people will take that and go like, well, shit, then I can eat all the meat I want. Yeah, but then there's also the question of what is ecologically sustainable yeah what is ethical um, what what makes the most sense karmically yeah, you know yeah. like and I know as soon as I talk about karma there are going to be people go like and just tune me out there like, oh, he's talking all that crystals and earthy whatever shit uh, a simpler way of looking at karma is just cause and effect right like if you do something like you take a deuce in the middle of the floor <laughs> It's karma. There's gonna, there's gonna, there's gonna be, there's gonna be a consequence to that, right? Like you're gonna have to deal with the stink. You're gonna have to deal with people complaining. You're gonna have to deal with cleaning it up. Right. There's always gonna be some sort of repercussion to every action. And so great, you enjoyed that steak, but it's like if every meal that you're eating is like chock full of red meat, like there, are, it might not be a measurable cost to you personally, but as far as the world, there are people that are going to. And, and certainly eventually all of us, I think, are going to have to pay the piper for that. Yeah. And it seems like there's like a fair congruency between what's good for the world is good for you at an individual level. I think so. Yes. You I know, think I think there's a long term perspective, at least. Right. At I the think, moment, it might feel good. But for 50 years down the line, if you eat meat every day, I mean, I don't really know what would happen. Maybe a lot of people think it'd be really good, but it could be taxing on you and also taxing on the environment. Right. And like we were talking about earlier, I think rotating your nutrition sources allows your body to have the chance to kind of flush out or deal with toxicities of whatever food sources you've had. So like, let's say, you know, you've been eating, let's say rice all the time. Well, if you've been eating rice for however many months and then suddenly you take two weeks off from rice, 
if there have been toxicities in how that rice is processed, whether it's pesticides or whatever, right? Yeah. Or just some random environmental stuff. Like just it happens, there's something in the soil that happens to be building up that isn't necessarily good for your body. Then taking two or three weeks off from that particular substance or that particular food source allows your, your cells some time to turn it over yeah. and to flush it out. I think that that's grossly underrated. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I wonder, so a lot of people that I get to speak with or, you know, read about or whatever, they've dealt with some type of pain or a lot of pain, you know, in order to get to the place because they have a problem and now they're dealing with it. Yep. You know, and that's all of a sudden we just see the cover of the magazine or whatever, like, wow, that guy's awesome. You know, but we don't see the 20, 30 years of, you know, or 10 years of kind of like potential trauma or suffering or something to get them to the point of climbing the mountain. Yes. Is there anything that you kind of can pinpoint or look at back in your past or your present that has been something that's like mountain to to scale kind of thing? Uh, let me just sort of see if I can understand the question. Are you, are you asking like, is there some particular challenge that I dealt with, like whether it be injury, whether it be trauma, whether it be whatever, that it really helped drive my evolution? Yeah. Is that what yeah, you're looking yeah, for? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. That was Dude, a way no. better way of asking it. You should ask yourself the question. Dude, all, on, on, honestly, like almost every day, there's something that I look back on it or there's, I mean, certainly in my earlier years, like as a kid, there were things that I went through, whether it be injuries um, from overtraining or whether it be uh, injuries from trying to fast forward my training. Yeah that really helped drive my clinical understanding and as well as my perspective on, on how to train people now uh, and, tra- and certainly tra- in training myself. Like now that I'm in my mid-40s, I'm in that, that point in life when, according to some people, it should be my peak, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think because of, you know, we can always make excuses. I think in my particular case, I'm not peaking as well as I should just because of like the last what year most of the year has been consumed with you know moving you know changing family structure due to my divorce yeah uh but at the same time too a lot of those challenges those personal challenges have helped me get more resilient in a lot of other ways so i think you know whether it be let's say for tennis, right? Like uh, trashing my shoulders from just hitting hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of serves every day. Yeah. Like I used to go sit, hit bucket after bucket after bucket after bucket to the point where I couldn't hold the racket. Totally counterproductive. Yeah. So it's like, instead of stopping after I had like maybe however many good serves, I just kept going until like my good serve turned shitty. Like that doesn't teach your body anything other than how to like suffer and was completely useless in the long run. Yeah. Are you right-handed? Yes. Is this a position that you're in quite often? You notice that your your right shoulders tilting to the right kind of like leaning to me. That could be there could be a lot of things there. I just wonder just for the sake of Maybe. I'm not I'm not necessarily aware of this particular position where I'm like in the Rodin's thinker thing. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, with my right hand. I don't I don't know actually. That's the I think position just, of that. I think it like depends on, on, on the environment. Like if I have a couch where like the armrest is on the left, right. I might put my left elbow up there and just prop myself up and then just, you know, kind of stroke my goatee at that time. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I think, I think it's really environmental. Yeah. I wonder with, so with martial arts, it's like, um, 
you know, there's 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 all the lessons beyond just like the, the kicking of the ass. Mm-hmm. You know, there's like the more subtle layers of it and just changing the way that you approach life and like every movement becomes a metaphor for the way that you approach everything else. Do you now, in retrospect, after practicing martial arts for however, how long have you been practicing, like actively practicing? Oof. Um, I started informally with my dad when I was little, but I think formally I didn't start till with, uh, you know, a, a teacher or master other than my dad until I was 18 when I came out to L.A. Oh, so, yeah, like forever. Mm, you know, 20-some years. Right. Yeah, so I wonder how... Have you noticed at different kind of checkpoints in the road, like, oh, wow, like I've really changed my perspective or evolved my movement or whatever it is where it's like, wow, I didn't even realize that change was happening. But holy crap, this is, you know, or is is there not? Daily, daily, honestly, like now that I'm doing the math and you've been, we think about it, it's been almost 30 years that I've been like that. Yeah, because, you know, I'll be 45 this this fall. So like. Yeah, I mean, starting at, at 18, really training with, like, world-class masters. Yeah. So, looking back in retrospect, every training session was some sort of aha, whether it was, like, a new technique, a new way of moving, uh, finding a new limitation. Whereas now it's, like, looking at these different movements, looking at these different techniques, and then seeing layer upon layer of, of meaning, like, not just in terms of tactical stuff, like... Okay, he tries to stab, I cut that arm, blah, 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 blah. Like, that self-defense stuff is the low-hanging fruit. Yeah. At least for me in my, in, in my daily life because I'm not, you know, I'm not an operative. I don't, I don't spend my time in the field dealing with, with violence on a daily basis. But through studying these movements, through studying these, these tr- training practices, it's really helped me look at how I deal with interpersonal relationships, yeah. conflict, uh, arguments, uh, dissent, uh, even even nutrition, you know, yeah. like when to eat, how to eat, not eating, you know, all of these things. I think martial arts has become an amazing uh, analogy for life in a 360 kind of way. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard you mention Vladimir Yanda. Have you, have you studied his work a bit or is uh, it- just a very, very little bit and mostly through, um, through the, the work of Gray Cook okay, and, yeah. and, and Pavel Tsulin. Yeah. Well, so one of the things that I've heard him mention, which he's, he's, he's dead now, read, read him, you know, mention, um, was at first kind of like, turning down your efferent stimulus, you know, so like the environmental, like if you're in that fight flight place, like first maybe like pull yourself out, create some spaciousness, Yes, you know, and then from there change that efferent, efferent being like stimulus coming in, you know, so change the, you know, if you have a house full of crappy furniture that forces you to, you know, sit like a jackass or like whatever it may be, maybe get floor cushions. Yes. You know, and so, so start looking at and changing the environment a little bit. Um, I had a direction with that. I'm not really sure, but is that <laughs> is that something that you've looked with uh, as far as like changing your environment? Have you thought about that much at all? Yeah, I think it, it, not just changing the environment, but changing how we perceive the environment. So, like, huh. rather than looking at your environment to stimulate you, looking for what are the lessons that are already inside yourself and figuring out how to process them better. Yeah, that's where I'm at. I think that that's been a bigger thing for me lately. Yeah. Um, you know, in at least maybe 10 years. So, 
you know, I'm still actively studying martial arts. I'm, I'm, I'm so fortunate to have access to, to masters and, and so much time that I get to spend with masters like um, Guru Dan Inasano, who's, sure. you know, Bruce Lee's former training partner. Um, uh, Matsuoka Haruo-sensei, um, who's, uh, he's Steven Seagal's former number one, who, and uh, now is teaching on his own. Yeah. Uh, just Martin Wheeler in Sistema. There, I mean, there's so many people that I, I I'm really, really blessed to have access to and training time with that every time that I get to hear them teach or every time I get to feel their technique or every time I get to get to spend time with them, it's not so much me just accruing more technique because if I just accrue more technique, it's like grabbing, it's just having shit tons of books that you'll never really read deeply enough to be able to process, right? Like I want to be able to process this lesson in a way where like, I not only own it for my body's best interest, but then I can use it in the service of humanity. Yeah. So for me, like all of these different martial arts that I have access to, like whether it's, you know, Shui Jiao, Chinese wrestling, it's always about what does this training or what does this training session or what does this training method do to help reinforce existing lessons that are in me already yeah, build and make it them. and make it more efficient or make it more natural or make it more like ah oh, I get that yeah yeah the uh, you mentioned before breaking the shackles right so getting out of the dogma right but starting from you know it's like something I, I say that I'm sure I ripped off of somebody is is you know something along the lines of, of creating boundaries with the intention to destroy the boundaries you know but you start by consolidating yourself you know you start with what does a functional squat look like what does a functional hip hinge look like what like what does functionality look like now from there let's go dance and have sex and like weird out and let go of all those principles but i think oftentimes you see this more in like the new age community everyone they kind of have like this squiggly you know dance thing that they do but they don't have they don't have pick anything heavy up off the ground you know, they don't have that, that, that fundamental, you know, and they would just jump forward to the freestyle movement. You know, you, is that, does that make sense? Like, like, it's starting with the boundaries gives you something to build off of. Yeah, I think the point of entry that we come into movement with isn't so important as much as like once we get into movement, we really need to explore where our limits are. Yeah. And let those limits be 360. Like a lot of times we gravi- we gradu- gravitate rather. I was going to say graduate. Maybe that's oh, maybe that was correct too. Yeah. <laughs> in a lot of ways we gravitate towards our comfort zone. Like the people that are artsy and amoebic and like yeah. want to be able to be formless. I'm not I'm not saying that in a negative way. I'm saying that in like they they're not rigid. Like so they they're able to express themselves in these in these really um almost formless kind of shapeless looking movement patterns. It's great. Um, However, that's one kind of movement. That's one kind of movement exploration. Mm. To be able to then move in in a very disciplined, precise, choreographed fashion is is also a way of training too. You know, training your mind, training your body's ability to go on autopilot and still hit landmarks of movement. Right. Similarly, like, so whether it's like a choreographed dance or a kata or whatever versus like being able to completely freestyle versus being able to just express raw strength or raw speed. So for the people that like are all about, oh, I just want to do Tai Chi because it's gentle on the joints 
and like that sprinting stuff is no good for you because it's too taxing and you're gonna overstrain your heart. Like that's to me, it's a crock. Hum- like just as I said, humans should be able to to eat like opportunistic omnivores. Mm-hmm. I think humans should be able to move totally. like adaptable athletes. Yeah. So if you can only move at one speed, like you can only do things plyometric, fast, all out, balls out, maximum effort, but you don't know how to move efficiently. You don't know how to move in a way that's relaxed. You don't know how to move in a way that's super bloody slow without tension and with ease. Then maybe you should explore those areas where you're not that well. Uh, I don't want to say well-rounded or, or it sounds a little bit too pejorative, but maybe you should explore the things that you're not as familiar with. Yeah, yeah. That's a, and it's putting yourself in those harder situations. Or it's challenging because it challenges your ego. Because now you're being a continual beginner. You know, and so you find the thing that I'm kind of fine at. I do this one kick thing pretty well, so I just keep on doing that kick anytime anybody's watching. Right, <laughs> right, know? right. You know, so totally. I mean, like Gray, I think said it the best. He goes, uh, you know, if you look at at how to make the body better, look at what you gravitate towards, and then do a little bit of the, the stuff that you don't like so much, or you don't naturally gravitate towards. Yeah. So, like the people that are. Um, enamored of powerlifting and, and able to lift, you know, a small car and do, you know, do overhead squats with it. Maybe you should do a little bit of yoga. Yeah, go be an amoeba for a while. Right, or, or just, you know, <laughs> just learn how to move slowly with precision. Vice versa, for those people that can tie themselves into a knot, maybe they should deadlift a little bit of something. Yeah. So, I think, you know, the idea of taiji, right? The the term taiji literally means polar opposites. Right, supreme supreme ultimate is the the common translation in English, hmm. but the concept behind that taiji means polar opposites, like extremes. So, the extreme of tension, the extreme of relaxation, to be able to explore those extremes and then be able to access points in between, that's the thing in human experience and human training that I think way too many of us are missing yeah. because we focus on single factors. We're reductionist by nature. Yeah. Like, oh, that, like there's that magic point, magic thing, magic practice, magic supplement. It's not that simple. Is it, with you, is there any kind of uh, either emotional or movement pattern style that you avoid because it's not so easy? Whereas, and instead you go back to the thing that you're good at? Hmm. As I've gotten older, the more I, the more I train, the more I like to put myself in positions of like unfamiliarity. Um, while I definitely want to be able to work on the stuff that I'm familiar with, and, and so I can retain it or improve on it or still capitalize on it, I, I, I like the humbling aspect of being in a position of training where like it's something I don't know well, I don't do well, I don't have as much exposure to because then I feel like I'm. It, it just it just helps me grow. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, there there are things that I might gravitate back towards just because I feel like I don't own that enough, like postural stuff, mm. like I mean, I, God, if I look in any direction, whether it's strength work, whether it's flexibility, whether it's raw speed, whether it's um, timed coordination, meaning like responding to a stimulus, like. Uh, you know, reaction type training. There's so much stuff that I feel like, God, I could, I could and should do better on that. Mm. 
you know? So like, I don't, I don't find myself gravitating towards one thing as much as like just trying to find those things that I could do a little bit better and find a, a more efficient way of doing it that I like. Is there anything from a perspective place that's like, I tend to kind of fall, my default is this perspective or kind of the filter that I receive the world in and maybe I could potentially change the filters up but I choose not to or is that too nebulous of a no uh, I think not assuming okay. I understand what you're saying <laughs> yeah right <laughs> you know I think patience for me yeah. as far as <clears throat> whether it's my training whether it's trying to get a patient to feel better whether it's yeah. You know, dealing with other people, being able to be patient when directly challenged in either an aggressive or disrespectful or like confrontational manner and to be able to be relaxed enough and calm enough and just easy enough and and well practiced and well versed and poised enough to not respond back with aggression is something that fascinates me like uh, you know I think a lot of us get to a point of frustration with certain things in our lives and that frustration vents itself with anger with Mm -hmm. whatever and that anger can manifest in a bunch of different ways whether it's like you gotta go out and get drunk or you gotta go out and, and, and you know Womanize, or you gotta, or you go out and you, or you're, you're like abusing your kid, or whatever the thing is, what, or you got, you overtrain, or you just, there's frustration has has to outlet, has some sort of outlet, right? Otherwise, it just destroys you on the inside chemically. On the other hand, like if you can flip the switch so that that stimulus doesn't frustrate you to begin with, then there isn't that need for that kind of negative expression. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I do. So that to me is, is where I'm, I think gravitating towards these days because it's like, I want to figure out how to, how to deal with limitation in a way where I, I find the space within the limitation to be able to do more. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Whether that limitation is time, whether that limitation is money, whether that limitation is like energy, whether it's it's a limitation of like, you know, oh God, my kid is like constantly not doing his homework or my kid is constantly interrupting me or like there's some friction with my ex or whatever it is. To be able to handle that situation in a way that doesn't get under my skin because I'm, I'm not in a position where it can get under my skin. Yeah. It's not a question of shielding myself more. It's a question of just being more... Um, relaxed and adaptable so that I can see the context of that that behavior and not get bent out of shape by it yeah that to me is like wow like what if your boss is pissing you off and your boss is being a dick well what if what if your boss really just has a goal and you can perceive the goal and you perceive the deadline and the importance of that therefore your, your boss is pushing you to do x y and z which is outside of your comfort zone you know, what if you understand the situation from that way rather than like just going, oh, my boss is a dick, but I fucking hate him. Right. Like <laughs> context, being able to understand and appreciate the context so that you're like always in that pay, always in that place of like balance. You're chill, right? 
That's 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 the thing that fascinates the hell out of me these days. Yeah, that chillness allows you to concentrate your your energy, you know, or yourself, or your mind, or your muscles, or your nervous system, whatever you want to consider energy. It's you know, it's all the things. Um, and I think where you come from that place where the water can become still, you know, that you have that depth to pull from is you come from a place of practice, mm-hmm. you know? So when you meet the people that it's like you're in the bar or whatever it is, and there's potentially like a confrontation there's, you can kind of see someone the way that they carry themselves, the way that they they look at you, like all the things is like, Oh, I'm looking at like a breadth, a breadth of, of breadth, breadth. That's how you say that, right? <laughs> of practice with this person, mm-hmm. you know. Whereas there's some people that might posture up a lot more, and might be just be seen kind of more, you know, frenetic, like like they're coming out of themselves. And I think that's oftentimes kind of an indication of you know lack of preparation in a way. I wonder with does that kind of make sense? The person that's like the silent master versus the person that's like posturing and telling people they're going to kick their ass. The silent master person has been practicing and could do serious damage if it was necessary, whereas the person that's posturing is coming from more of a place of just like shallowness. It depends. I think there are two different survival strategies. One is like, you know, the person that's posturing, maybe the only reason that they're posturing is because like that's how they've learned to get through life without you know, having to fight. They posture up well enough or they act, they, they put on the act yeah. so convincingly that, that it turns most people off right. from engaging them. You know, the problem with that is that someday there's going to be someone that just calls you out on your shit and then, like, you better be able to knuckle up or at least survive getting knuckled down. Yeah. I, so with that, we'll wrap up. We'll wrap up here soon. Is there a time that you got to be out of here? Like, no, like hard uh, time? Noon. Okay, cool. Sweet. So, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So with that, I wonder, as have there been any kind of like practices that you found with coming from like the the emotional or person you know perspective on the world kind of thing, like meditation practices or just something that's kind of helped you to be able to kind of concentrate yourself. I think as a kid, probably one of the most valuable things that I got exposed to was Tai Chi. You know, like at ten years old, when my dad was like, I still remember this very clearly as a kid watching my dad do Tai Chi and I just thought that shit was hilarious because right. you know I didn't have the frame I didn't have the frame of reference to be able to appreciate it I was just like he's doing this stuff that looks like it's a slow-mo replay on a on a in a TV and I'm like just just chuckling my ass off and then when he <laughs> told me it was martial art I thought it was even funnier until like you know he was I saw him use the moves and he's just like rocking me across the room and I was like whoa that's cool shit Hmm. and so knowing how to slow myself down when you know I I still have a temper I honestly I still I I undeniably still have a temper but as a kid I had a much worse temper so being able to slow myself down enough to be able to perceive when the, when my temper was flowing, to be able to perceive when you're doing wrong, that, man, I, I think that that that's that was the most valuable thing, practice-wise for me, to be able to to see that slowing down gives you the chance to see when something is going wrong and then possibly change that, whether it's your breathing, whether it's your posture, whether it's your response to physical pressure, right? One of the things that we do in Tai Chi is a practice called push hands. Mm-hmm. Love it. Um, and so 
with push hands, you've got a tactile stimulus, someone trying to push you or pull you in a certain way. And like you can, re- you can resist with force, but then that becomes very tiring. Um, and it also makes you less responsive. And if you can respond to that physical force and at the beginning, it's done very slowly. So your body figures out, your brain figures out how to, how to respond to that physical force in a yielding fashion. Like you stay with the contact, but you're just relaxed enough to let that force move you without sacrificing your, your structure, without sacrificing your posture. Man, what an allegory for the rest of, or what a, what a lesson for the rest of life. I mean, if you can let the stressors of life engage with you without letting it like turn it into an adrenaline event, I mean, how much more productive it's going to be for us all. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. Like a lot of us engage life by disengaging. We want to escape. Whether we want to get high as a kite, whether we want to get drunk as a skunk, whether we want to do whatever, right? Like there there are ways we all want to disengage. Like, uh, I just want to go and run. I just want to go and drop. I just want to go and do whatever. What if we could engage and not have to escape, but just be relaxed and calm and chill enough Mm. so that we could perceive what's going on and then just make those little micro adjustments in attitude, in tone of voice, in word choice, in perspective, in training method that allow us to engage in a way where like everyone wins. Yeah. Yeah. Have you heard of, um, there's a, uh, there's a guy called Stephen Porges. His polyvagal theory is a thing that he, he coined and, uh, it's getting into kind of like speaking to the, the, our, our parasympathetic nervous system and our, you know, our vagus nerve, the wandering nerve going from your brain, connecting to all your different organs. And uh-huh. most of the stimulus is going from your guts back up to your brain, giving you information. One of the things that he gets into with that, that I find really interesting is the effect that our, our tone has on our nervous system. Tone of voice. voice. Yeah. yeah. You know, so like when, so sometimes with like kids, for example, they'll be, from what I'm told, I don't have any kids, you know this better than I do. Um, they'll be kind of like scared of the father because the voice is strong and domineering and they kind of veer towards the mother because it's, she has this very sweet in the tonality and, or the father's clever and he doesn't talk to his baby like this. And he says, he starts to lower or, or, you know, raise the pitch a little bit and have more of like this prosodic kind of intonation with the way that they sound where it's like, it's a little bit just softer, mm-hmm. you know, and it's not just like a, oh yeah, sure. Like change your voice. You know, it's like, it actually, you can document it, measure it, that mm-hmm. the tonality that you experience actually affects your nervous system function. Totally. You know, it's kind of an interesting. Totally. I mean, the tone of voice is one of those things where, uh, in some ways it can be almost uh, therapeutic. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Is that something that you think about with your practice with patients? Are you thinking like with communication to a patient, someone comes in, you is looking for help or is sick or is scared or, you know, we probably don't, I don't know. You probably get all sorts of people. I do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't consciously change my tone of voice or my delivery. I think it just over time has learned to match itself to whatever they need. So if I need someone to understand the importance of a point that might be totally foreign to them, uh, instead of explaining it to them like, okay, now on day one, you're going to do this. And like, cause then it just becomes like white noise. Um, if someone's really scared talking to them in that sort of soft, slow, reassuring, calming tone might be really useful. But if I really need to impress upon them the importance of a point, like 
I need you to do these exercises because this is what's going to open up your hips. And once your hips are open up, then that doesn't tax your spine as much. So all of that lower back pain that you've been feeling, if you can do these exercises more regularly, the hips are going to move better. And that in turn is going to change how your lower back feels. Yeah. So a little bit more energy, a little bit more up tempo, a little bit more you know, engaged in that sense. Yeah. So sometimes I find myself moderating my tone of voice in order to be able to get across a point in a certain way. Yeah. On the other hand, there are times when I slow down a lot just because there are patients that come in and they really just want to be heard. They're tired of being blown off by their GPs or their whatever specialist or whatever, whatever um, professional they've seen before. Yeah. You know, so they're frustrated and they want to get that frustration out. And in a case like that, I have to be like, oh, Really? Oh. And then I, you know, shift back more to my, like, the very white tone of voice. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's cool stuff like that. It's, it's things that we naturally, like, subconsciously, we're always looking at body language. Totally. We don't put any language to it. But 100% of the time, if you're, like, okay at being in the world, okay at business, okay at not getting mugged, you're right. always reading body language. Right. Right. You know, it's the same thing with, with the intonation of someone's voice. You're always, always, always reading that. But you put language to it, all of a sudden, I think it can expand your capacity to really, I think you can learn more, you know, by creating that frame of like, oh yeah, there's like, this is like real science and shit. It's, <laughs> it's no, it's totally true. I think there are a lot of, there are a lot of subconscious messages that people aren't aware of that they deliver as well as how other people perceive them that are really dependent on that body language and really dependent on that tone of voice. Yeah. And there are a lot of people that want to be entitled to speak however they want to speak and not pay attention to tone of voice. Yeah. Like this is one of the things that I'm really like looking back in retrospect, I'm really grateful that my parents were like what's that tone of voice? Why are you speaking that way? Why, why did you use those those particular words? And like as a kid, you're like man, like you know, I don't think I ever said this, but I was just thinking uh, I remember a bunch of times, leave me alone. Yeah. You know, I just said the whatever, but then like my parents making me accountable for what I said, how I said it, how I delivered it. Wow. Like I, I, I think that really set the ground for me to be a better communicator and a better teacher and a better dad. Mm. Um, and when I see people, especially adults and parents that like just blurt shit out, they're breeding kids that are going to be that same way. And they're not going to be responsible for the communication that they engender or miscommunication that they engender and all the problems that come about because of that. So they're, they're wanting to be entitled to speak however they want. I have freedom of speech. Yeah, you have freedom of speech, but then like there's, there's an accountability. There's a kind of consequence for that. Yeah. So what you say is going to be perceived and people are going to act or react on that. Are you ready to deal with that? Are you ready to deal with those consequences? Are you ready to deal with a child that is just blurting stuff out and being disruptive and being so selfish and going to embrace the world in that selfish sort of way? Or are you going to be a little bit more karmically responsible? Yeah. And that I think is important. So the person that blurts stuff out, I think has that emotional, you know, their perception, their filter on the world or whatever. I think that directly ties into the physical body and their structure and their nervous system, the way that they stand and the organization that they have. You know, if you're a more controlled mover, in my experience working with people, they tend to have a little bit more control of their tongue. I concur. 
right? You know, and that's that's the interesting thing is when you see that person that's that's you know is more just frenetic and crazy and rah, you know with their personality, you see that in their physical body as well. Yes. You know, and that's kind of what I was like poorly getting at earlier with like the the stiller water, the person that's kind of gathered their energy. Yes. You know, and I think that we'll see as we change the body, we change the mind. I don't think there's any, I think it's just the exact same thing. Yeah. One of the things that I talked about before was in, in Chinese martial arts and certainly in Tai Chi, we have this concept called the three internal harmonies. Mm. Emotion and intent, intent and breath, breath and movement. Or breath and force so you know when you have someone that moves in a certain way that's frenetic or whatever like that it's a reflection on how they speak breath let's understand breath is more than just the exchange of respiration and gases but also like how you speak how you think your intent how you feel like what how like what's going on inside your heart are you in turmoil are you all over the place are you highs and lows are you wild like is your heart just kind of like scatter bomb or is it just like are you peaceful are you chill are you like that kind of like deep like the ocean kind of heart like are you available to love or are you just kind of like starving and looking for me 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 like where are you what are you yeah you know and i think when we allow those remember what i was saying with exercise you can you should have different points of entry into an exercise or movement Hmm. I think in terms of self-development, we need different points of of entry as well. Like we need to look at it from an emotional standpoint. We need to look at it from a cognitive standpoint. We need to look at it from the standpoint of breath in terms of speech, whether that's tone of voice, whether that's like just simple gaseous exchange. Mm. You know, we need to be able to look at all these things and certainly in movement. Yeah. Last last thing before we got, I got to, my, my meter is probably going to run out. Right on. Um, you know, so I think it's interesting the amount of people that are in hospital beds for, you know, they, they call it like psychosomatic reasons. Like they really just need support. You know, they're, they're, it's like they feel sick or whatever it may be, but really they just don't have enough of a support system. You know, and they end up reaching out. And from Again, this is something I've read. I've heard, I think it was something like 60% of people that are in hospital beds are there for something that's like it could be cured from a hug or a support system or, or something like that. Fact check, read into it. Yeah, just, I'm not familiar just, with just that. Some stuff. But what I think is interesting is coming to places, seeing somebody like, like, like me or somebody like you, we have different approaches. But one of the main things is that we have more time with people. You know, and so when someone comes in, there's a lot of times I was working with somebody recently, actually, that they had they had like a PTSD kind of like stir up kind of thing. And they came in and they were like a wreck, mm-hmm. you know, and then we did some body work and I worked with their viscera and worked with their feet a little bit. And, you know, we just talked and they just kind of decompressed, you know, and so their nervous system went from a state of like, like freak out to after. And we like talked afterwards after like an hour and a half, they literally looked like a different person, you know? So biologically what happened in that time frame? I'm like, I don't, I don't even know, you know, but it's, 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 uh, I don't even know if I have a question. I think I had a question, but coming into places like this, I wonder just how much your thoughts on like placebo, for example, where we think of like, oh, it was the medicine. Oh, it was the needle. Oh, it was the elbow and the glutes versus I, I, I feel helped. Okay, that term placebo, I think a lot of times we're too quick to say, like, if something worked and we don't understand it, we call it placebo. Right. 
maybe there was a legitimate mechanical like reason that something that we did work or a mechanism I shouldn't say mechanical because then that, that tends to imply structural yeah. but maybe there was a legitimate mechanism of how something worked not just all like cognitive not just all emotional that was why something worked well and maybe modern science can't reduce it to a pill or a, a structural thing or a chemical thing right or maybe a surgical intervention but if it changed how the organism structured itself and also interacted with the environment how in the hell can we call that placebo mm. it's medicine the shit it's worked medicine yeah yeah you know so oh you know there are so many times when you look at, at patients whether it's working on them with just simple breath like oh, how is it that their breath changed that their low, changed their lower back pain well maybe the, maybe like the science that we have at the time doesn't know how to connect the dots and nowadays now through the research that connects all of the all of the fascial lines like you know how the diaphragm relates to the lumbar spine mm-hmm. and lower back pain there okay now science has finally caught up to why the breath work that we were doing might have been helping the lower back but in, back in like 20-30 years ago oh that's just placebo you did breathing and it helped your lower back? Okay, great. Yeah, then it's psychosomatic. That's bullshit. You know, like a lot of times we're too quick to, to speak condescendingly towards an intervention yeah. because we don't understand it. And so because we don't understand something, then we try and mask that ignorance by speaking in a condescending fashion. That's That's got to change. Yeah. Yeah, it's like the story of the guy looking for his keys underneath the, the street lamp. You know, it's like, where are, you, where are you looking? He's just looking all where the light is. You know, it's like, dude, where you lost your keys? I'm like, yeah, I'm looking in the, you know, it's like, where are you looking? Did you leave it around that area? It's like, no, but that's where the light's at. You know, right, I think we do that right. with science a lot. Totally. <laughs> where we just like force the freaking square, you know, peg into the circle because it's what the science, it's like sometimes let go of all that shit and just be present with the person and maybe something might pop out, you know, and then sometimes having, you know, surgery or whatever an intervention is, is exactly what you need exactly but I think it's that fluidity in between that from a medicine perspective I think that we you know everybody could grow from it's not just one you know? right I mean we need yeah. to be more open it just in general not just in medicine not just in training but I think across human experience we really need to be more open to what it is that we don't understand yeah. where are the changes in perspective that, that can occur where are the little aha moments that like maybe and when I say little I mean little maybe it's just a little change of where we're looking, like look a little bit to the left, look a little bit to the right, look a little bit outside of the box that your your brain is in or that your heart is in. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, the dots that we couldn't fit in, those times when we were jamming that square peg into the round hole, suddenly like we changed the whole paradigm and things fit beautifully then. Yeah. Cool, man. Yeah, brother. Yeah. <laughs> How do people find more about your stuff and keep on, keep on... Social media is usually the best. I, I really should update my website, the drmarkcheng.com website more. Um, and I will be doing more of that now that I'm actually engaging more with a, a buddy of mine who's a great webmaster. Cool. Um, but social media is really the best uh, across all of the platforms, Facebook, Twitter, um, Instagram, and Snapchat. I'm at Dr. Mark Cheng. So the at sign, D-R-M-A-R-K-C-H-E-N-G. Cool. 
seriously, man. And I really appreciate the just the messages and work and all that stuff that you put out because you make you normalize it. You know, and there's another. Do you know you know Kelly Star? I, mean, I know you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if you know him personally. Yes, I do. Um, I had the opportunity to spend some time with him a little bit. Cool. Not yeah, much, sweet. But, yeah. yeah. So I, Great I like dude. I like Kelly a lot, and he's that's one of the things that I think he does really well as well. Is it's just like taking all these big fancy polysyllabic words and simplifying that language and normalizing it and making it be really accessible for people as opposed to as healthcare practitioners keeping themselves on the pedestal as like you know I have the keys to the castle but instead becoming more of like a having being able to have a connection and conversation with people that they understand dude funny that you mentioned that pedestal thing because one of the things in the past few months uh, like, as I'm sure you've seen through my social media feed, I'm pretty transparent. Like, yeah. if there's something that I'm having a great time with, I'll let people know about it. If there's something I'm finding benefit, I'll let people know about it. If there's something I'm struggling with or something that's challenging me, I'll, I'm not afraid to mention it and tell people about it. So, you know, in going through the transitions that I've had to go through, both geographically moving out to you know, the East San Gabriel Valley to Diamond Bar and, you know, the, the family structure changes following divorce. I've been amazed at how many people have been reaching out to me, like going, man, you know, I've been struggling with this too. I'm a, you know, I'm a single dad or I'm, you know, I'm about to separate and like the stuff that you post gives me hope or the stuff that you post, you know, help me deal with this. And I, I just like, I, I wish that more of us wouldn't handle our challenges as taboos but rather as teaching moments or learning moments and I think that like I think that'll be the thing that for humanity in general would be would be so much more beneficial yeah cool man thanks for the time thank you for having me appreciate it press press off on gizmo thanks dude Align Podcast. Thank you once again for uh, for Sigmatic for supporting this podcast and for bringing such a radical product to the world. Uh, I utilize the cordyceps and lion's mane before any workout movement session that I do. Uh, chaga mushrooms every morning as I'm traveling. I always bring along some type of mushroom bl- blend for immune support and just overall vitality. Um, thank you, thank you, thank you. Tim Ferriss has been loving that. Sean Stevenson, I believe, from the Model Health Show as well has been getting down on those. Um, so they are spreading like wildfire and I highly recommend you checking them out. Um, jump on to foursigmatic.com slash align for 10% off of your purchase. I can't re- recommend it more. Uh, foursigmatic.com slash align. F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C.com slash align. And you will get 10% off of any purchase from Four Sigmatic. Thank you once again so much for tuning into this podcast. If you guys want to show some support, show some love for what we're doing here, um, you can jump on the website, aligntherapy.com, A-L-I-G-N therapy.com. And then from there, a uh, couple things you can do. One of which you could actually donate through Patreon. There's a link on the right-hand sidebar of the blog and podcast page. Uh, you can utilize the Amazon affiliate link. Uh, anytime you or anybody you know buy some crap on Amazon, please and thank you. Bookmark that link. Every time you do it, we get something like 7% of your purchase and it helps support this show. It is awesome. So great. As well, something you could do that is ultra helpful. If you or anybody that you know um, has ears and likes books, uh, tell them to check out the Audible 
audibletrial.com slash align. That's A-U-D-I-B-L-E trial.com slash align. And then from there, that is, uh, you get a free audio book from Audible. They have something like, I don't know, a bajillion different titles to choose from. Uh, one that I would recommend that I got from them was Shantaram. I, it's a huge book and uh, again, all free no matter what size the book you get. And that got me through, I listened to that as I was traveling through Morocco and uh, just really, really amazing website, uh, amazing service. Couldn't recommend it more and uh, it kicks us down some scratchola every time you guys utilize that free thing. Costs you absolutely nothing and you get a free audiobook and you support the show. Boom. Um, thanks so much for reviews on iTunes. That's greatly appreciated. And thanks just in general for listening. Thanks for supporting. Thanks for, for spreading the word. All right. I can't express enough how much I appreciate all that. If you guys ever have any questions or comments, you feel free to email me directly at Aaron at aligntherapy.com. And I would love to talk. All right. See you guys. Thank you for listening and remember to join the movement by subscribing to the podcast. If the information has been helpful, please share and leave your comments in iTunes. Aaron personally reads each one and it makes all the work worthwhile. Together, we will make a difference and continue to bring more powerful and inspiring messages to the world. Align Podcast.